Welcome back to Brain Biohacking with your host, Kayla Barnes. We dive into all things optimal health, optimal brain health, nutrition, peak performance, cognitive excellence, biohacking, longevity, and so much more. Welcome back to Brain Biohacking. Today, I'm speaking with Dr. Todd Ovakaitis. Dr. Todd did his undergraduate studies at Northwestern University. After two years, he was top of his class with a 4.0 GPA, and he was one of 26 students in America accepted into an accelerated medical training program at the prestigious John Hopkins University. Dr. Todd received both his BA and MD degrees from Johns Hopkins University, and in my opinion, he's one of the most forefront pioneers in stem cells. Today, we're going to discuss all things stem cells, from what stem cells are, how they're extracted, what their potential benefits may be, and so much more. Stay tuned. I know you're going to love this episode. He, at the age of 73, did the biologic age testing with the clock that we talked about, and he was 67. So he'd done a lot of good stuff, and he was actually six years younger biologically than his chronological age. Dr. Ovakaitis, it is such a pleasure to have you here with me today. Likewise, a pleasure and honor being with you after we met auspiciously about a week ago. Yes, absolutely. So um, the doctor and I met after you had an incredible, like knocked it out of the park presentation at the biohacking conference on stem cells. And I mean, I had to go up and discuss further with you. So I appreciate that. Yeah, it was really fun being with that esteemed group of people that Dave Asper put together. And it was also pretty exciting hearing about the lawsuit that the Dr. Berman won that I think is really good for everybody in the field too. Absolutely. Um, so to preface, we're going to be talking about all things stem cells today. And you brought up a great point. Do you want to touch about the recent, I guess, uh, the recent lawsuit that was actually won? Because that was incredible to hear about. Right. So those of us in the stem cell world know the name Dr. Mark Berman, who was one of the early pioneers, especially using something called mesenchymal stem cells. Sorry for the technical words, but that's <laughs> what are used. They're called MSCs for short. And about five years ago, the FDA came in and shut down his clinic and lab and offices and started a big lawsuit. And for five years, they battled it out and recently prevailed. And as I understand it, and I can be even more precise because uh, Sean Berman, Mark's surviving son, unfortunately, Dr. Berman died, we believe, I think, of COVID-related complications, actually. And But his son survives, and he shared the information. And my understanding is that the lawsuit now allows a person to use their own stem cells, even if they are expanded in a laboratory for their own health benefits. In the past, it was prohibited to take your stem cells and culture them and increase their numbers. Uh, the regulations really only allowed you to harvest your own cells. The word we use is autologous, and it had to be done in the same place it had to be for a quote-unquote homologous purpose or trying to heal like with like. And it has to be done within four hours of harvesting the cells. And to culture cells, it generally takes uh, many hours, if not some days. So the lawsuit allows us to have different types of stem cells harvested. They can be increased in their numbers by culture techniques. There are some issues around that to make sure that they're safe and effective, but that's beyond the scope of this discussion. And then to have these larger numbers of stem cells re-injected into the body for various powerful either therapeutic or age-reversing regenerative purposes. Yes, I mean, very exciting. And uh, with my limited knowledge, at one point, when they came in to shut them down, they they said that it was essentially a drug, right? Removing your own stem cells, doing a little something to them and putting them back in, that that was then considered a drug. So that was the issue for a little while with, with using your own stem cells and replicating them, right? 
That's correct, because it wasn't just harvesting the tissue, and with fat they need to actually digest the tissue with something that dissolves collagen so that the cells can be separated from the matrix. And mm -hmm. even just the addition of that enzyme was considered converting your own cell preparation into a drug-like substance that would need years of study to be approved. And then if you go further and put those cells in culture and possibly give them growth factors to cause them to increase, that also may shift the characteristics. So because of those factors, FDA was calling the use of your own cells a drug if there was anything more than that was called minimal manipulation. Mm. And yeah, I got it. Well, you know, our mutual friend, Dave Asprey has a lot to say about being able to do what we want with our own bodies. And I, uh, yeah, I agree with that. So it was a big win for stem cells in general for, you know, the future, I think of human longevity with us being able to do more with these cells. So let's jump into stem cells in general. So what are stem cells? Mm -hmm. So there are many types of stem cells in the body, and that's part of why there's confusion. A basic definition is that a stem cell is a cell that can replicate and do one of two things. It either maintains itself as a pool of reserve cells, or those cells come out of the reserve and they replace a cell that has been lost or damaged. So it's basically like reserve reserve uh, troops on the playing field. When your quarterback gets knocked out, they can send in another one. I like that. I always kind of say, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I always say it's kind of like a master cell. It can kind of turn into any other cell, right? Not necessarily. <laughs> <laughs> which, which ones can do that? So, and therein lies the confusion because some stem cells are in fact master cells that can become any type of cell in the body, but other types of cells are further down in the hierarchy. So you can have the generals and the colonels and the lieutenants and sergeants and privates. And what I mean by that is that we start with a single cell. It all begins when there is the the fusion of the male and female gametes. It all begins with one cell. And in the first number of divisions, when it gets up to about 30 cells, it's called a blastocyst. And each of those cells is so powerful, they can make an entirely new person. So you could literally dissolve that and put those cells in 30 wounds and you'd have 30 new people. Those cells are so powerful that they're called totipotent. And that's almost more than a master cell. It can make a whole new person. And the challenge of those cells is that they're so powerful that they have an actual medical risk, which is forming benign tumors called teratomas. And they're not malignant, but they can get really big. They can be as large as a cantaloupe or bigger and have all different tissues. It can literally be like a giant hairball with skin and teeth and nails and muscles and bone and pancreas and whatever. So while those could be removed surgically, no one wants a growth in the body. And for that reason, there actually is an appropriate restriction of the use of true early stage stem cells. And these are the so-called true embryonic stem cells. They are totipotent. And there may be conditions in which these cells would be very useful, but they need to be used carefully because of that risk. Now, next in the differentiation chain, each time the cells get more specialized, they lose some of the ability. So the next step is called pluripotent. And a pluripotent stem cell is like that master stem cell that you're talking about, because a pluripotent cell can then become any of the three germ layers. So once we have this developing little ball of cells, they differentiate into three layers and each of those layers produces certain types of tissues. A pluripotent stem cell can become any of those three germ layers. It may even form those layers and then it can become any of those cells. So the true master cell is a so-called pluripotent stem cell. 
Once you get to the next step, you have germ layer derived cells. So the MSCs that we discussed are derived from the middle layer, meso is middle, the mesoderm, and MSCs, whether they're from fat or bone marrow or other sources, you can get them from umbilical cord blood as well, that gets into a different issue because those come from somebody else as a rule. And cells of the mesoderm are what make muscle, bone, tendon, cartilage, and even fat. And they're often derived from fat uh, because there's a good number of them. And it's really great if one wants to repair damaged cartilage or help rebuild muscle because they're designed to become those things. It's harder to get them to become, say, a nerve or a liver cell or a kidney cell whereas a pluripotent stem cell may become those things. And then you go even further down the line where each tissue of the body has a dedicated type of stem cell. So for example, there is a stem cell in skin that resides in the hair follicle. There's a particular type of stem cell in the liver that regenerates it. There's a type of stem cell in the muscle. The brain has three different types of stem cells in particular locations. and there was a time that it was said that, well, your brain, you burn a certain number and you lose them over life. Well, that's not entirely true. The brain can regenerate and it has stem cells for that purpose. And we can discuss ways that you can actually reverse the trend of having reduced neurons over time and have a young brain again. That's incredible. So I have a couple of questions so far. Um, well, first of all, were you all finished with going down the entire list? Well, right. In quick review, there literally is a hierarchy. We could create a chart that has a single fertilized cell atop, pluripotent cells behind that. Then we would have the germ layers, endoderm, mesoderm, and ectoderm. And then we would have what tissues those differentiate into, and each of those tissues would have a specific type of stem cell that only becomes those things. So that's that's the bigger picture. Okay, and and this is very important, right? Because I think um, in general we've heard. I mean, we've all heard a lot of umbilical cord stem cells. I've at least heard a lot about it. A lot about embryonic stem cells, and there are a lot of different kind of. Um, I guess, hailing for different issues for these two. I think these are really popular. Of course, a lot of friends of mine do um, the stem cell extractions from fat too. But to go back a little bit, what are stem cells doing in the body? So what is their role, their function? When are they activated? Are they always activated? What is our, What are we using them for, our yeah. own? Well, fundamentally, a stem cell is a cell designed to allow tissues to be functional at a high level for a longer period of time. If you didn't have stem cells, your brain and muscle and liver would wear out a lot more quickly. So their basic purpose is to keep the organ as youthful and regenerated as possible. The issue with stem cells that isn't generally discussed is that as a rule, stem cells age and become older and less efficient in parallel with the other tissues of the body. So for example, mesenchymal stem cells from fat or from bone marrow, if they're used to repair a joint in a 20 year old, they tend to work incredibly well, but they may not work nearly as well or at all in a 70 or 80 year old. So there is a menu, as it were, not just of the hierarchy of the cells, but how potent those cells are to repair and regenerate a tissue in a given circumstance. Got it. Yes. I think uh, stem cell exhaustion is one of the, you know, primary hallmarks of aging, right? Right. So, okay. If you, now that we have a very clear breakdown of all the different types of stem cells, if you were trying to focus on, let's just say, regenerating the liver, would it be more beneficial to try to get stem cells from the liver? Or would you just use maybe one of the so-called master cells or cells that can turn into anything? Mm -hmm. Well, now we start getting into the cool stuff. 
Yes. <laughs> the incredible workaround that Mother Nature has provided to us. And if one really wants to regenerate a tissue, you might potentially say, find out a way to extract liver stem cells from the liver and expand them and give them to that person now that we're allowed to do that. The challenge though is that the liver stem cells would also be older cells that wouldn't have as many replications in them and might not be as potent. The information I shared at the event was the extraordinary discovery that our bodies make a very powerful pluripotent stem cell, one of the cells, these master cells that can become anything. And for unknown reasons, we don't know why, but they go to sleep when we're born. And because they're dormant, they're hibernating, they're like sleeping beauty, they're circulating around and not dividing. And for example, the aging clock in DNA known as telomeres, every time the cells divide, the telomeres tend to get shorter. When they get too short, the cells stop dividing. Well, this type of cell that we will call a V-cell, and I'll say the full phrase once, which is a very small embryonic-like stem cell, or V-S-E-L, or we say V-cell for short because it's easier, and we know what we're talking about, that for unknown reasons, they go to sleep, they circulate in our blood, they are present in our bone marrow, they percolate through tissues, and because they're hibernating and not dividing, their telomeres aren't shortening. So whether someone is five or 50 or 110 years old, if they live that long, then these incredible cells may still have newborn length telomeres and be just as strong and robust as vital as a newborn baby stem cell in someone's cord blood. That's amazing. And I wanted to, I was excited to give you like this big layup for the V cells since you're uh -huh. like the man in V cells, but I'm glad we're diving into it now. Um, because as you and I talked about, I'm going to come down and do this and I'm extremely excited. So for the listeners, so we have all these original types of stem cells that we spoke about. And I would also say what's also amazing about V cells, which is the primary area I would say that you're focused on now, right? Mm -hmm. Um, it also seems so much easier to get, right? To be able to actually utilize them. What's the, what's the process? So now we know this is a very small embryonic-like stem cell. I've been telling everybody about this, by the way, the last, I don't know, seven days since you and I uh, hung out and chatted. But um, so what's the process versus the process for doing some of these other types of stem cells? Sure. The popular stem cell therapies, say the MSCs from fat, requires a mini liposuction, which isn't a huge procedure, but it's still invasive and requires cutting into tissue and extracting a certain amount of fat, which is then digested to extract the cells, which may then be expanded. Getting the cells from bone marrow isn't such an easy deal either because it requires taking a large bore needle and some of the strong arm going into someone's pelvic bone and pulling out bone marrow. So those are relatively invasive as minor procedures go. In contrast, to harvest the V cells, all we need to do is start a single IV. So it's no more invasive than getting a blood test, basically starting an intravenous catheter. And for the basic anti-aging procedure, or regenerative procedure. We in fact call it an age reversal procedure because we'll share the incredible information about that. All we need to do is draw six 10 cc tubes of blood and we have a process where we separate, concentrate, and then laser activate the dormant cells. And once we have awakened these cells, we simply return them IV and the fact that they're very small is really important. The reason is that to review the anatomy, when you inject something IV, it goes to the right side of the heart, thence to the pulmonary artery and pulmonary capillaries. And the pulmonary capillaries are pretty small. They're only about six microns. 
and a typical MSC is about 12 to 30 microns. So they're so big, they get to the lung, they stick in the lungs, they get filtered out. And if one is attempting to improve a lung condition, that may be useful, but it's very difficult to get those cells anywhere else in the body unless you inject them directly. So the fact that these cells are very small, when they're in the dormant state, they're only one to two microns. And to put that in perspective, a typical red blood cell is about six to eight microns. So it's about literally a quarter the size of a red blood cell. It's very teeny tiny. They look like bare nuclei. And because they're so small, when they're given IV, they literally can distribute everywhere throughout the body. And because they're so small, and particularly with the work that we do, we've seen many neurologic structure and functional issues improve. We believe they're small enough to cross the blood-brain barrier and regenerate brain tissue. We've seen perhaps the most dramatic results in history of regenerating the function of the heart and have published a study on that. And whatever tissue that we want them to go to, they're small enough to go there. Now, what we believe is happening, which is incredibly profound, is because these master cells are at the tip of the stem cell hierarchy and that they're very young compared to the age of the person, that we believe these stem cells are literally going through the body and turning back the aging clock of all the different types of stem cells in the body. So that when you need to replace a liver cell or a kidney cell or a brain cell, it'll be replaced with a younger cell. It's absolutely incredible. Um, will you talk a little bit about the, the studies on the cardiovascular system and the heart and then talk about some of the anti-aging studies? Because this is so exciting. Sure. We had the privilege of going to Armenia at the encouragement and support of the government. And we did a study with 10 patients with severe end-stage heart failure. And to put that in perspective, a normal heart will pump 50 to 65 percent of the volume in the chamber with each beat. When it drops below 50 percent, it's called mild heart failure, below 40 percent is moderate, and below 30 percent is considered severe heart failure. The study population had an average ejection fraction of only 21 percent. So this is severe end-stage heart failure. The prognosis is only 30% one-year survival, and these would all be heart transplant candidates. What we found was rather amazing, and we have to compare it to what other people have seen in the stem cell world. So before we did our study, there was a so-called meta-analysis which means a compilation of published reports from many studies. And the studies looked at using autologous stem cells that were actually delivered by cardiac catheterization. So this meant that a major artery had to be invaded, threaded up to the aortic valve, and the stem cells actually inserted into the arteries that supply the heart. The result of that invasive procedure was an average 8% increase in function after six months. Now, 8% more is something, and that can be clinically meaningful and reduce symptoms. In contrast, our procedure, which was only IV, much less invasive than a cardiac cath. And instead of localizing them by injecting the coronary arteries, we localize them with what we call a laser guidance process. And we won't go too deeply into the quantum biophysics here. <laughs> Maybe at a later time, I can show the images to make it a little more understandable. Just to simplify it, we've invented a new type of laser system that creates a waveform that the waves combine in a certain way that allows them to go much more deeply through the body. And 
Our first experiment with this new laser technology was done at the NIH, and we passed the beam through a flask of stem cell-like cells from the bone marrow, and one day later, the cells had lined up where the beam had been. So we literally stumbled upon what could be called singing the song of the stem cells in light. And wherever we direct this beam that goes very deeply through the body, some aspects of the waveform probably go all the way from one side of the body to another, that this is a type of homing signal. And in the quantum sense, it increases the probability that a stem cell goes exactly in the body where you want it, not just go there, but also adhere and stay where you want it to go. Because wherever it sticks to cells, the cells talk to each other through those adhesion molecules, and then you have the local chemical microenvironment. And that's how this stem cell that can become anything knows what it's supposed to be. So as we described the procedure, there is the process of separating, concentrating, and activating the cells, and we activate them with this new special type of laser. And the same laser we use to awaken them, when we give them IV, we have a 20 or 30 minute laser guidance process where we prioritize where the person most needs them to amplify the regenerative results where the person wants. Now for the heart, it's actually our simplest protocol. Once we inject the cells, we simply apply the guidance signal to the heart for five minutes from the front and five minutes from the left side, because as we know, the heart's more on the left side than the right side. And in my training, I'm actually formally a pulmonologist and critical care specialist. So I've seen lots and lots of chest x-rays, and I know exactly where the heart resides in the chest three-dimensionally. So five minutes from the front and five minutes from the left side. So that was what we did for this group of patients. And the results were pretty remarkable. Instead of an 8% improvement after six months, we already saw a 14% improvement in just three days. It was already statistically significant in three days, and then it got better. In a month, the average improvement was 25%. In two months, 37%. And in three months, it was 50% where it plateaued. So instead of 8% better in six months, we saw 50% better in three months, and that was IV instead of intracoronary, which suggests the utility of having a non-invasive guidance process for the cells to be directed where we would most like them to go. Absolutely incredible. So how did you, I mean, so doctor, you created this laser, you created this entire system. Um, you're very humble, but it's important that everyone knows this. So how did you know that these cells were not awakened? How did you know that they were like hibernating in the first place? I first learned about these cells reading a book published by a researcher named Radichak from the University of Kentucky. And he had a chapter about umbilical cord blood, which is really crazy cool stuff because cord blood is like this cocktail of stem cells. It has neural stem cells for the brain and muscle stem cells and cartilage stem cells and stem cells to make blood called hematopoietic stem cells. But what he was really enamored with was the V-cells. And he was really excited because they were truly pluripotent and looked like they could differentiate along any of the three germ cell layer lines, which means that could become anything. And the fact that they're dormant and remain at a very young biological age, no matter how old the person, is also a big plus. But the question was, you know, how do you make them active? How do you make them functional? And I had a eureka moment in this experience. And I have a colleague who separates and concentrates these cells through another type of method. So we had this beautiful, clean preparation of these dormant V cells. And under the microscope, it's really interesting because they look like just a bare nucleus about one micron, maybe a little bit of cytoplasm to make it two microns, as small as a cell can be. And 
we used our laser process in these little micro wells and stimulated each of them for a short period of time and then came back four days later to see what happened. And that was the OMFG moment. <laughs> because four days later, instead of the cells being teeny tiny, they'd expanded to be about oh, at least two to three times bigger, about four to five microns as an estimate, which is a, actually a lot bigger volume. So they had much more cytoplasm. So not only were they bigger and active, they were also beginning to divide. Mm. So we'd already seen what are called colony forming units where the cells will replicate themselves, where one cell had become as many as 16 to 20. So it's not just the cells that may be delivered on the day, they can also increase their numbers once they're inside the body. So that was our confirmation that we could take these dormant cells and not just awaken them to become more active, but also to internally increase their numbers. That's amazing. And then when, where, when did the idea of the laser come into play? Well, that really went back to the very beginning of our work where we saw that stem cell-like cells lined up where the beam had been. And if we did nothing more than increase the number of stem cells that get to where you need them, that alone would be very beneficial in the stem cell world. And we didn't start with the B cells. We were already working with stem cells from core blood. And we did some work with fat-derived stem cells and some with bone marrow-derived stem cells. And for every type of stem cell that we worked with, they appeared to work better. And our early work showed, our very first experiment showed that we were upregulating what are called cell adhesion molecules. So it's called cell Velcro, like the proteins that the cells use to stick together. And not only do they allow the cells to stick together, they also are an agency of cell-to-cell -cell communication. The name of this class of molecules in the cells we looked at that were from the bone marrow are called integrins because they allow the cells to stick together to maintain the integrity of tissue. And there are alpha and beta integrins and on the surface you have one alpha chain and a beta chain so there are these alpha-beta pairs. What we found in our first experiments was that after a stimulation of 5 to 15 minutes, that the expression of integrins, the physical expression of proteins on the cell surface, was increased as much as 40 to 100 percent 24 hours later. So we're literally allowing the cells to stick to each other better and have more cell-to-cell -cell communication. Amazing. Um I think there's an important note to be made, and I've heard you speak on this before. So if you have someone else's cell mm -hmm. versus your own cell, and please tell the audience the technical term, allogeneic versus... Autologous. Autologous. Um, what is the lifespan of these different cells? So I think it's much shorter, right, if you're taking someone else's cells and then putting them into your body. Can you talk a little bit about that? Because that's yeah. another benefit to V-cells. Right. That's an excellent point. So one of the popular sources of stem cells is so-called allogeneic MSCs from cord blood. So allo means other, so allogeneic means from somebody else. Autologous, auto means from you. So... Stem cells from core blood are powerful. They're newborn, they're one day old, they got a lot of juice. However, if they are from somebody else, they will not persist in tissue especially long. So the course of, say, giving someone an IV injection of cord blood stem cells, because they're so big, they're going to be filtered out in the lung and very few of them will go elsewhere. Because they're not from the same person unless they uh, happen to be, say, from an identical twin, <laughs> when the, they, they will incorporate as their own, that 
they only persist uh, on the order of four to six weeks, and they'll largely be in the lung. And what they'll be doing is making powerful cytokines and growth factors. So they will make chemistry like a little pharmacy of regeneration factors that will go through the circulation and stimulate tissues to have a regenerative effect. And that can be beneficial. However, the limitations are it tends to be short-lived, may only last four to six weeks before the cells uh, will basically be inactivated. And they also will not be replacement cells. Uh, they will not be replacing damaged cells in the liver or the heart or elsewhere. They'll provide a regenerative stimulus, but they won't tend to persist. So there is a benefit, but there is a limitation, whereas the V cells, they will make powerful cytokines and growth factors for regeneration, and they're small enough to get to the lung or everywhere, and they're capable of becoming new cells that have their aging clock reset at a much younger level. Amazing. I think I think that's a really important part, not to say other types of stem cells, as you spoke about, don't have a benefit, but if you want the full benefit, it seems we know what direction to go. Um, if you could talk about, so you talked about some of the studies that you did on the on cardiac health, and it's absolutely amazing, but what about anti-aging? Ah, well... Our big thing is the human potential. And as far as I'm concerned, the younger we are biologically and the longer we live, the more we can become as evolved and powerful and amazing. In the biohacking conference, we talked about becoming superhuman. Yes. And I think that just means becoming more capable than we think we can be because of the limitations, say, of biology and aging. We began having the ability to look at biologic age with the most accurate clock that exists roughly a year and a half ago. And there are two main aging clocks that are used. We mentioned telomeres before, which are the ends of the chromosomes that tend to get shorter and shorter as the cells divide. When they get too short, the cells stop dividing. That limits the human lifespan. And that clock is not highly accurate. There's a lot of variability in it. And I got that from the person who invented the most accurate clock, who is uh, Dr. Stephen Horvath of UCLA, the so-called Horvath clock. And Dr. Horvath has developed biologic age clocks for 26 different mammalian species, including people. Hmm. And his pan clock which looks at the overall biologic age is probably the most useful, but there are also clocks for different tissues, like for memory or vision or hearing, for example. And using the clock, and I'll share the technical name for it just for understanding, it's called the epigenetic DNA methylation biological aging clock. And I'll explain those terms because it's important for understanding. Epigenetic means not the code that we're born with because we all have the codes from our parents. Epigenetic means the part of our code that's being expressed. And parts of the code can be turned on or turned off depending upon diet, lifestyle, uh, meditation, and many other factors. We won't go into, into that. Just to know that DNA is not just a code, it's also a code that varies in expression, and that is called epigenetic. DNA methylation refers to these little chemical groups called methyl groups, and it's really simple. It's a carbon with three hydrogens in the corners, and that attaches to precise places in DNA. There are four different DNA bases, and the methyl groups attach to the cytosines, the Cs. And we start with one cell, and then when we have a whole body, there are hundreds of types of cells. And the way that our biology makes a distinction is that it uses methyl groups largely to block the parts of the code that shouldn't be expressed in that kind of cell. So methyl groups in certain places 
keep the brain from making liver-specific proteins or the heart from making kidney-specific proteins. And we're born with this very clean profile. And just like telomere shortening, as the cells divide, that methylation pattern doesn't get copied exactly precisely. And what Dr. Horvath has determined is that over biological aging, there is a characteristic way that the methylation pattern shifts throughout the code. And using a test where you can look at the placement of thousands of these markers, you can give a precise biologic age with a very short window that is the most accurate biological age clock that exists. So using that clock, you can get a pretty good idea if you have reversed the age that way, it's more certain than, say, if the telomeres have gotten a bit longer. Hmm. And that tends to go throughout all the tissues. And we expected that we would see an anti-aging effect, which is at least slowing the aging clock. We were thrilled when we actually started getting the results. And before we had the luxury of having testing before and after the treatment, so we'd have clear before and after in an exact uh, delta, as it were, the, ex the exact measurable change, what we found was that if someone had had a single treatment any time in the past five years, their biological age was about three years younger than their birth date age. If they'd had two treatments, they were six years younger. It was most remarkable if they'd had four treatments, they were 12 years younger. And there's not another method I'm aware of that's been able to achieve 12 years of biological age reversal at the DNA level. Unbelievable. What is, what's the test called that you, cause I've taken, I want to say like four different mm -hmm. biological age tests. And so what is the test that you're referencing that you're using? So I want to take this one if I haven't. Uh, well, this gets into a number of technical and other issues. And because I'm still sorting through some issues with the lab, I might just say that currently, that there are a number of these tests that are out there. Mm -hmm. And because it's still being sorted out with what I would call an algorithm change, I won't mention the initial company yet till I talk to them. So okay. I don't want to, how you say, create any issue with them until we sort through the technical details of they're having shifted the algorithm that they use. And we have currently gone to a company called Mudo as our first choice. And that's M-U-H-D-O. I've spoken to their Oxford geneticist, who is the uh, chief scientific officer, really smart, really good guy. They use the standard Illumina chip, which looks at, I believe, 866,000 epigenetic DNA methylation points. So it gives a whole lot of information. Mm -hmm. And because it's so much, it actually takes a long time. So often these tests take six or eight weeks to get results. So people have to be patient to mm. see what their data is. That's just part of the process with that much number crunching. And what's really cool about Mudo is that they will give you your overall biologic age at the DNA level, but also the age of different tissues, mm. like the age of your memory or your vision or your hearing and other uh, systems of the body. In addition, the first time you do the test, you also get your so-called SNPs. And... That's the slang for SNP, which is another mouthful, which is single nucleotide polymorphisms. And to state it as simply as possible, we have a DNA code where every three nucleotide bases mean something. It's either a stop or a start codon, or it translates into a particular amino acid. And if you change a single one of those, a single nucleotide, 
that you can actually change the amino acid it codes for. And if that's in a critical location, you can have a highly functional enzyme before the change that becomes only partly functional. And there are many of these so-called SNPs. And the first time one does the MUDO, you actually get a SNP profile, like having done 23andMe, for example. And then they have a really good app that will take you through if you want to understand what that means, if you need to take a different form of a vitamin to get this benefit, if you're going to be more sensitive to caffeine or alcohol or certain medications, you can get that very nice profile the first time you get the test. And then they also give the biologic age results at the DNA level. And if you do the repeat test, you don't need to repeat the SNPs because those don't really change over time, but your biologic age can. So right. that's our current preferred. Now, I have become friends with Dr. David Sinclair of Harvard, who is creating a test that is a cheek swab that he believes will be accurate, even more cost-effective, but he's doing the validation on that test. So that could become another alternative where you could even do testing more frequently as you modify diet, lifestyle, or get stem cell or other treatments to see what the real effect has been. So those are the main two. The Mudo test uses saliva, and Dr. Sinclair's would use a cheek swab uh, other tests may use blood, and Dr. Horvath does think that the blood test may be a bit more accurate. We've so far been quite pleased with Mudo. And it's a lot simpler collecting saliva than painfully sticking your fingertip. Yes. It for blood. <laughs> yeah, I agree. Um, and it's an interesting kind of landscape now with these with these tests because I've done quite a few of them and I've gotten a bit varied results, you know? Um, so I really appreciate your expert opinion on which one you feel best about right now. And we all know that could change in the future and, and so on and so forth. But you, we talked a little bit about something that's extremely exciting, I think for women. And I have a lot of females that, that follow me on, especially on Instagram specifically, but what about the potential for stem cells and ovarian aging or, you know, extending the years that maybe women might be able to have kids? Because I was explaining, you know, women, at least me, I guess, um, you know, we spend our whole life trying not to get pregnant. And then you have this like relatively short window where you have to find a partner, get married, date, like do all this stuff, have a baby. Like it seems a little bit unfair. Uh, so I think, you know, this is an area that I feel like might not be getting as much attention as it deserves in medicine, but, um, it seems like you have something that could change that. Yeah. It sounds a bit like, I think it was David Bowie under pressure. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Yes. Right. Well, I have a few interesting stories and one of the really amazing things about these V-cells is that it's already been shown that they are powerful enough even to become new eggs and new sperm. Amazing. And one of the features of feminine reproductive biology that we learn in embryology is that the eggs are, have actually formed by the time a feminine of the species is born. I'm going to say woman is born, but I guess they don't start that way. <laughs> and by the time a girl is born, the eggs are already in formation. They're already uh, set when the menstrual cycles start to go into the cycles of becoming eggs in preparation for their fertility purposes. And the basic concept is that these eggs are released over time, but there is a point where the eggs become exhausted and that's when menopause occurs and there isn't until now a way to generate more eggs, but now there is. So a few things that are really interesting about that. One is that there was a study that looked at women that were around the menopause and they just injected a crude PRP, platelet-rich plasma. And this was the very simplest way to make it, the old-fashioned way, 
where you simply spin a tube of blood which separates into three layers, red cells on the bottom, white blood cells, and a little thin layer called the buffy coat because it's kind of white and fluffy and buffy, and then the straw yellow plasma above it. And the old-fashioned way was to take a pipette and siphon off the plasma and try and get as much of the buffy coat as you can without contaminating with red cells. That's a fairly crude, somewhat inflammatory preparation. In this study, they took that crude preparation and injected it into the ovaries of perimenopausal women and found that that significantly improved fertility because even at menopause, there may be 100 eggs left, but even though they could be useful, they also need all the support structure cells. So not just regenerating eggs, but also the different layers of cells that are needed to develop the egg to be ready to be ovulated. So <laughs> I'm not sure how much I'm allowed to say. I have, I won't mention his name. I have with me today one of the world's leading authorities in fertility. And he's very interested in work that we can do because instead of injecting these crude, this crude preparation that is basically growth factors, not active stem cells, to actually notch up and have a much cleaner preparation, but also with these newly awakened, very young stem cells that can become new eggs, whatever results that was achieved with the crude preparation, we predict we'll see much greater results. So this is literally just the study's information and I think it's quite possible that we can greatly alter the window of having really good eggs. And there are a number of things that can be looked at with eggs. There's egg quality, there's the tendency to have the right number of chromosomes called euploidy versus aneuploidy. And I believe all the characteristics of youthful eggs are things that we are likely to make a lot better. But that's why it's research. Uh, we don't know, but we're planning to do the experiments. So, so exciting. Um, I think that would be a, a game changer. Uh, it, it could be profound for, from the standpoint of reproductive biology, uh, particularly for women, but actually it can be regenerative for men as well, which we're also planning to study. And I'll share two anecdotes that are kind of fun. Mm -hmm. Please do. So... The first is a couple that went through IVF three or four times over five years without success. And then the husband and wife both got the V-cell treatments directed for reproductive purposes. And within two months, she effectively conceived. That's amazing. And the more amusing anecdote is a woman who was 15 years postmenopausal. So it's a long way past the point. Mm -hmm. And she got a treatment that wasn't really directed for fertility. We may have focused on her ovaries a little bit just to make more ovarian hormones for overall health and regeneration purposes. What was interesting is that a month later, she reported having ovulation symptoms. Oh my goodness. Wow. That's amazing. <laughs> and and then she started having periods. And then she was concerned about her period and got a pregnancy test kit. And her husband said, what are you getting that for? I had a vasectomy 15 years ago. Oh my. Okay. So <laughs> was there anything there? <laughs> well, she had forgotten that he had had a vasectomy and she wasn't really at risk for conceiving. Uh, it wasn't that there was some side activity going on. <laughs> okay. But there was that, that un unpleasant, Lucy, we've got some splaining to do moment. <laughs> I was wondering yes. why his wife, after that many years in menopause, would need a pregnancy test kit. So <laughs> that just goes to show that even that, we don't know. We have to study this systematically and, and do appropriate controlled clinical trials and so forth. 
to really understand what the metrics are and the appropriate indications and when it works and how it works. Yet it is a suggestion that the reproductive potential, if we can harvest a person's own stem cells and they can reset the aging clock of eggs to be that of a child's eggs, basically, that have their full reproductive potential and a reduced risk of some of the things that happen as egg gets older, particularly things like uh, trisomy 21 or Down syndrome, which tends to increase with maternal age. That's the ploidy issue because uh, there's an extra chromosome that I believe that those issues are going to be also a timing reset, that those risks will be reduced to that typical of a young woman. That's my theory, and we'll have to collect the data and see. How, how quickly can we expedite this? I mean, I, I still have some time, but I just want to know what the horizon looks like. Well, we're, we're meeting about setting up the protocols today. So if you call me in a week, I can give you more information. I will definitely take you up on that. And mm-hmm. excited to share because, like I said, I have a lot of, you know, women that follow me. And this is this is a really big area that, you know, you just hopefully we can extend our life and we can do all these things to keep ourselves really healthy. But at the end of the day, there is this one area where it's like this finite set of time. You don't Mm -hmm. want to do it too early, or at least I don't want to do it too early. You know, I wanted to have all my ducks in a row and then you don't, you can't, you can't do it too late. So it's very exciting. Um, And thank you for all this work. We really appreciate it. Well, imagine if you could have a 20 year bigger window. I mean, yeah, then you don't have to like, hurry up and pick someone, you know, out of thin air, I guess. And you have more time. I mean, I've been busy like building businesses and creating my dream life. And then you're like, oh, well, I got to do this other thing too, if I want to have children. So it's exciting. Yeah. Um, so before I mean, we go- window to find the perfect match. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, so out of all the, this is obviously a very exciting area, but where are like the top three areas, three or four areas that you would say that someone can look to stem cells for? I will speak about, I don't have any major issues. Um, I want to come see you and do this for general anti-aging. I mean, my biological age that, you know, it's been a bit varied, but it's quite younger, um, which I'm excited about. I put a lot of effort into that in terms of my lifestyle, but I mean, hey, we can get me back to like, I don't know, like 15 or something and I'll just stay there. Um, <laughs> so <laughs> I wanna... hormones and all, there we go. <laughs> there you go. Um, so I am doing it for anti-aging purposes and mm-hmm. you know, who knows there so- could be something else developing. We never really know, but that's why I want to do it. Um, mm-hmm. what are some other top reasons that people might want to find you and do this? Mm-hmm. I'd say the number one reason is really just age reversal. And I spoke in the last year in Boston, and Dr. Church, the developer of CRISPR, was one of the speakers. And he said that anti-aging is really a boring concept for me. I mean, if it's all downhill and it's a little slower, a little faster, it's not that exciting. But actually reversing age and being biologically younger, that's exciting. And I'll give you one example, the one that I shared actually at the event, because it's it's hot off the press and it's really profound. And I work with a very gifted doctor who has a huge clinic in Florida. And he shared that he, at the age of 73, did the biologic age testing with the clock that we talked about, and he was 67. So he'd done a lot of good stuff, and he was actually six years younger biologically than his chronological age. What was interesting is that he did three of these V-cell treatments, because he's one of the people that we've trained to do it and use it in his practice. And in less than a year, he went from 67 to 55. So you went from six years younger biologically to 18 years younger biologically. Now, he's a triathlete, and he found that his 
times were getting better. He was running faster. His recovery time was similar to when he was a lot younger. And that was already amazing. What was even more interesting, or also incredibly interesting really, is that he did a fourth treatment where he focused on sending the cells to his heart. And I described that simple process, five minutes from the front, five minutes from the left side. And shortly after that, what he found as a high-level athlete is that his maximum heart rate increased from 173 to 185. Wow. And there's a formula which is the predicted maximum heart rate, which is 220 minus age. And what that basically means is that in a short period of time, his heart was functioning physiologically, biologically, 12 years younger. In fact, with the math, he was functioning at a 35-year-old level. So the ability of his heart to perform was 38 years younger than his chronologic age or less than half of his chronological age. Amazing. See, I, if I start now, we can go back. I'm going to be like 12, 15, I don't know, two years old. We can, <laughs> we can do something amazing here. Uh, we'll stop short of crawling back in the womb. Yeah. <laughs> right. Right. Before I go back, we'll just, we'll pause there. <laughs> I, I love that. And you know, it's something that I admire so much about you too, and we'll have to do another podcast on this, but it's not just the the stem cells, the V cells, this incredible technology that you're offering at your clinic. You guys do a lot of different stacks like peptides and NED. We were discussing potential NED pre stem cell protocols prior to the call and just creating this incredible environment in the body. When you talk about human potential, I mean, I couldn't agree with you more because first of all, I think that so few of us ever even get close to what our potential is. And I think so much of that is contingent on our lack of energy and lack of vitality, because if people had more energy and more years of feeling good, they would do so much more, you know? So I love that about what you do as well. It's not, it's not just this one thing. It's this very like holistic, high performance, superhuman type protocol. And, you know, that's, that's what we do at my clinic too. So, and personally, that's what I'm all about. You and I at the, at the conference were comparing peptide stacks and the whole nine yards, a little bit of Lucy gum in there and all, the whole nine yards. So it's all about, I think, just getting better every year and with what we have available now and people like yourself really driving this forward. I mean, the potential is limitless. I believe that. I, I think we are finally tapping into the codes where we really can become ageless. And if you become ageless, that you then have the time to really develop all the areas you want to develop and you can become better and better at everything you focus on. Absolutely. I, I agree. Well, um, I'm going to include your website. So tell us what your website is so everyone can run over there and I'm going to be there in a few weeks. So you guys might see me over there getting some stem cells if you come soon. We'd love to see you. Yeah. Share the magic. Yes. Compare stacks again. Oh yeah. I mean, yeah, I'll be there in a few weeks, literally <laughs> just waiting in your office to get a specific date down, but I will be there. So your website is. All right. So for the report that I spoke about and to understand the various things we do for the human potential, because there's even more than the stem cells that we might talk about at another time. It is drtato.com slash ageless. Perfect. Okay. So We'll make sure to add that in there, put all the details in the show notes. Um, before we go too, do you want to mention costs just so people don't have to flood your call line with asking that one question? Ah, so full price is 10K for what is generally three years of biologic age reversal or about $10 a day to do Groundhog Day on your lifespan. And... We also do a sliding scale, so we do aim to make it affordable. So depending upon financial circumstances, we make adjustments because we do want as many people to have this available as possible. I love that. And thank you for that. That is very important work that you're doing. Um, doctor, thank you for everything again. This has been such a pleasure. It's great to have this discussion and 
I'm, I'm really all into the network of practitioners that are really about pushing the envelope, creating the very best protocol. So thank you for being in that realm of enlightened, cool doctors. Thank you so much. And we'll continue to compare notes and just offer what we can, the best possible protocols to humanity. All right. Awesome. <laughs> thank deal. you again. Thank you. was created and is hosted by Kayla Barnes. This podcast is for informational purposes only and views expressed on this podcast are not medical advice. This podcast, including Kayla Barnes, does not accept responsibility for any possible adverse effects from the use of the information contained herein. Opinions of their guests are their own and this podcast does not endorse or accept responsibility for statements made by guests. This podcast does not make any representations or warranties about guest qualifications or credibility. Individuals on this podcast may have a direct or indirect financial interest in products or services referred to herein. If you think you have a medical issue, consult a licensed physician.